Okay, welcome to the WAN Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and today we have with us Michael Winston from Pfizer. Now, you might recall he spoke with us uh, last summer about the sudden shift to remote work and how that was impacting his role as the director of network design and architecture there. He's back with us again, this time for a really completely different topic. We're going to take a look at a sort of emerging technology that uh, WAN managers and the folks who serve them might want to be aware of called Smart NIC and look at how that might uh, impact enterprise network architecture. So welcome, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you, Greg. Happy to be here. And um, I, I hope I'm finding you maybe in maybe in an easier time than last time we spoke here on the podcast, which was uh, in the in the middle of the summer, in the midst of uh, kind of you know that scramble to get everyone, um, you know, maintaining uh, everything online. Are, are things uh, going a little smoother these days? I'll say that it's become more run of the mill, mm-hmm. so it's nothing that's um, new anymore. Right, and because it's not new, we've been able to become more comfortable with it. So we're still um, primarily all remote, mm-hmm. except for those folks in our business that are essential. Um, outside of that, working from home has become uh, just the the norm of what we are actually doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, we were discussing before we were recording that we've we've both um, uh, been vaccinated in some shape or form. Now it's going to be really interesting to see how much this carries over into uh, whatever the new normal ends up being. But I, I reckon the world has permanently changed. Right? So, yeah. I I would definitely agree there. You know, it's really funny when people say the new normal. Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of counterintuitive? That's kind of like new and improved. Yeah, it's really either yeah. right or right. It's either new or improved. Right. It's either new or it's it's normal. And and in this day and age, with all the things going on, who knows what normal really is? Right? So. Absolutely, that's a that's a good point. All right, so let's dive into today's topic. Um, you know, normally uh, I'm kind of playing the role of analyst and, and might throw some data at folks when we get to this part. Um, really, I'm here uh, kind of more as a journalist this time. I'm be asking you questions about about this new topic that I really knew nothing about until you brought it up as as a potential episode here. So I think we'll probably start at at just the very beginning, like you know, foundational definitions here. So I'm sure most people listening to this podcast are well familiar, of course, with a, a network interface card. But what is a smart NIC, and uh, and how is it uh, different from the standard that everyone's familiar with? So before we get into smart NICs, it's important to understand the driver behind developing this technology. Mm-hmm. As more and more organizations move to edge networking and edge computing, as the proliferation of more and more mobile services become available, we hear a lot about network function virtualization or NFE. Um, NFE has always been a a passion of mine. I say always really, it's only five years old. Maybe not always. Always since Um, it's been around. Yeah. Always since it's been around. Yeah, that's a relative term. The challenges with network function virtualization have always been the gating factor of the number of packets per second that you can push through a CPU. Mm-hmm. It, it hasn't been the bandwidth on the actual network interface card that's a real limiting factor. 
it's it's really it's not been the the actual functions themselves, but rather how fast the Intel or AMD or whatever CPU you're using in general purpose compute can actually process those functions. Mm-hmm. So as we moved um, further down the NFV plane, it became evident in similar usage to GPU and big data and, and AL and MI that in the networking space, we needed something similar. Right. So looking at how GPUs are used today um, in AI and ML to do really in-depth analysis gives you kind of an idea why using smart NICs might be valuable to your platform when you're trying to do network function virtualization. The idea behind a smart NIC is to offload some of those functions that would normally be CPU bound. Mm-hmm. Things like encryption, um, telemetry, deep packet inspection, forming routing relationships. So those are, or, or connecting overlays. So those are just some examples of some of the things that having a smart NIC as an offload, kind of GPU for the, the main processor in your NFE platform can enable you to do things that we couldn't have done without that type of technology. And, and that was just because it would be using up too much uh, space on the CPU or uh, processing power. What's, what was the limitation there that, that this overcomes? So Intel came out with a number industry you know, consortiums, a number of different technologies to improve NFV performance, things like DPDK, mm-hmm. the data plan developer kit, which had a set of APIs that allow you to get access to the Intel CPU in order to pipeline certain things like encryption. Um, and then also SRIOV or single root IO virtualization which allowed in a virtualized environment bypassing the hypervisor, whether that's uh, um, you know, ESXi or you know, Nutanix or whatever hypervisor you're choosing to use and get direct access to the network interface card to improve throughput. Mm-hmm. But the challenges with DPDK and SRIOV is you are still limited by the number of packets per second that the Intel CPU uh, could right, process. Right, right, I gotcha. So now with the advent of smart NICs, you've got these dedicated processors. Again, back to the analogy of you know, offloading to a GPU, you've got the ability to offload those things into a specific function. And because you place that offload on the actual network interface card, it not only gets you the ability to do those things faster, but also gives you the ability to leverage more of the throughput on the network interface mm-hmm. parts. Got it. Yeah, uh, just a just a quick aside here, maybe just out of curiosity, have are you familiar with uh, what uh, MEF and some of their constituents are working on in terms of uh, lean NFV to kind of facilitate um, better utilization of NFV on on the you know service provider and enterprise sides. Oh, absolutely. So the the Metro Ethernet forum, right? Mm-hmm, That's what mm-hmm. MEF stands for, is really critical as as a number of other organizations are and helping to move NFE forward. So initially, when a lot of organizations went to deploy NFE, you needed something like OpenStack or you needed something like the um, 
the, the whole nano NFV footprint or with a VMware, uh, an ESXi cluster that had support for vSAN and all of those other functions that made the initial go-in footprint for really orchestrated, automated NFV mm-hmm. very expensive right. for enterprise organizations. And if you wanted to, for example, virtualize a single router using NFV and you were using ESXi, which for me, because we're an enterprise, was the easiest place to go, you still needed three or four compute nodes just to virtualize a single router just because of all of the management functions. So when you look at the you know thin NFV footprint, it really it takes some of those and moves them into more of a, a software driven model that's not as much of a requirement. So you don't need or you don't have all of the same management layer functions or orchestration layer functions so that deploying a universal CPE in a single node becomes a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Got it. All right. So um, to take it maybe back to um, smart network interface cards, um, uh, looking at it from the perspective of the network architect at, at an enterprise, not not on the service provider side, which I think we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later. But um what specific tasks, like what what are what are we um, sort of automating or taking over that uh, that are being done now that you you think you can switch over to uh, the smart next side's sort of intelligence? So, what we can switch over to the smart next side of the intelligence are functions that are relatively generic mm-hmm. in the networking environment. Mm-hmm. So, by that I mean things like IPsec encryption or forming a VXLAN overlay, or doing basic BGP routing. And if you look at companies like VMware with Project Monterey, where they're moving functions like NSXT and some of the networking functions it performs right into a NIC, um, and whether that's uh, Pensando or NVIDIA Mellanox or Intel, or some of the other companies that are, are actively participating in that, it gives you the ability to offload those functions. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at um, in a non-ESXi environment, you can look at something like Cumulus, which the, you know, interesting, the acquisition by NVIDIA Mellanox Cumulus now creates almost this perfect storm of running a full network operating system right on a network interface card and that, again, gets you closer to the edge, not just of you know, your network, but actually to the, the host itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's a lot of opportunities there. If you couple that with the feature and function specifics of a particular VNF, let's take a SD-WAN VNF that has abilities like QoS or fast rerouting mm-hmm. or packet duplication um, or application qualification, understanding you know how applications behave, you can have that VNF focus just on the things that it specializes in, which reduces its compute and memory footprint, and still get the added performance of a universal networking or data plane access to the infrastructure. So there's a lot of ways that this can really help move NFE forward. Right. So it's it's essentially 
you know, there's, these aren't new functions. They're, they're just uh, increasing the efficiency and ease of, of some of those same uh, NFVs that, that you've already had in place, essentially. Absolutely. Um, another example is one of the challenges with NFV has always been deep packet inspection, right? So things that are happening inside the hypervisor or happening between VNFs, it's very challenging to get a real-time feed of exactly what's going on at the packet layer. Mm-hmm. And quite often to do troubleshooting, even in today's environment where almost everything's encrypted, still requires some kind of packet dump. So because most of these network interface cards, the smart NICs, come out of the box with the ability to do an immediate tap or span, whatever terminology you'd like to use, right off that network interface card, because it's actually mirroring the data before it shoots it out. And it gives you exactly what's going on inside of that uh, virtualized environment. It makes it a lot easier to do things like troubleshooting, um, analytics, and monitoring of your virtualized infrastructure. You know, I think I, uh, they, that that makes sense. I think a lot of people listening might now be whether they were sort of peripherally familiar with this or or um, it's you know essentially new to them. Sort of convinced that uh, that this is something worth looking into. So I wonder if you could maybe take us through uh, kind of the ramifications, right? So if, if everything has a trade-off, um, does this increase in efficiency and ease have uh, its its sort of a yin and yang potential difficulties um, or challenges that might uh, uh, come from widespread smart NIC adoption? Yeah, so there's there's a number of challenges. And, and as you mentioned, if, if you're not seeing the um, negative or possible ramifications of new technology you're adopting, then you're only looking for that, the bright that's side. That's right. Yeah, that is right? a dangerous posture <laughs> to be in, right? So because yes. yeah, yes. And then you're suffering from shiny object syndrome. Mm-hmm. So if if you look at the implications of moving a lot of that intelligence into the network interface card, the first thing your enterprise uh, security team is going to say all right, that's great. We're a Palo Alto organization. We've got a really good methodology for managing firewall rules and workflows. How does your smart NIC actually play into that? Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it, absolutely. It, oh, it doesn't at all. Right. Not yet. It wouldn't get there. Right, right. Okay. Well, so now I've got to figure out a new way or a different way to manage those security policies. And a lot of these platforms will show up with security policy management platforms, but because it's taken us so long to develop the ones we already have in place, very hard to move on to something different. Right. And so that's one aspect. Then you can expand that into other management aspects, right? So right now you monitor your routing infrastructure, maybe with a you know CA performance monitor or you monitor it with Splunk, or you monitor it and manage it with HPNA, whatever your your flavor is. Mm-hmm. Again, now you've got a whole new model of management where I used to monitor the firewall. And the firewall had, I don't know if it was a, a you know small form factor firewall, maybe eight, 12 ports on it, but I could pull that one device and I could get information about all of the different ports and rules and performance and metrics. Now I've just taken that one device with 12 ports and potentially put it across 
four or eight or 12 or even more compute nodes, depending upon how many compute nodes we're funneling into that firewall platform. Mm -hmm. So I've exponentially grown the number of management points in the infrastructure because it's not a one for one, right? I can't say that I have a, a router port that's being replaced with a SmartNIC port because what you're in reality doing with that one router port is it's being fed by 24 or 48 switch ports. And those switch ports feeding into that router port now means if I take that routing function and I distribute it across, you know, let's say 10 compute nodes and each compute node maybe has two ports because you had to have redundancy mm -hmm. for each of the smart NIC connections, suddenly that one router port becomes potentially 40, 80, or even more management points. That means more BGP peering points. That means, so there's a lot of impact in the management plane right. that's going to be created from this you know, possible adoption of SmartNIC. That's one ramification. But that's, yeah, that's before before you get into that, I'll break in. Sorry, and, and just say that you know that it it sounds to me like what you're saying is one of those things which is, you know, not conceptually too different from from anything else new, like say SD WAN, where there's a lot of upfront work. You've got all this increased number of, of nodes out there, and you have to you know sort of orchestrate and manage all that. But once it's in place, once it's going. That's when the benefits start to roll in. So it's it's really an upfront kind of uh, kind of pain if 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 that's uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know it's good because you make the analogy to SD WAN, right? So one of the big use cases for SD WAN was always we'll save a ton of money. Promise you, we will save a ton of money. Okay. Hey, we put our first SD WAN box out there. Great. We shut the head ends off now to save the money. Right. No, not yet. Yeah, exactly. Now, and, and until the last branch office, in, in most cases, or, or a customer or whatever it is that's moving to your SD-WAN platform right. is turned off, you can't turn off that MPLS head end. Exactly. So you're still paying for that, right? Um, assuming you move to an all-internet footprint, that's a whole other conversation. Um, in, in the same consideration with SmartNICs, SmartNICs won't be cheap. Right. And, and they won't be cheap. And because they won't be cheap, the question is, how do you really put them into a brownfield environment? Because if I put them into a brownfield environment where I replace or when I order a new set of, you know, hyper-converged infrastructure, and maybe I get two or three racks with these smart NICs, that means great for those two or three racks, which again, maybe each rack has 24 ports of smart NIC technology, then I don't need to buy maybe top of rack switches or aggregation points for those four racks to support those functions. But that doesn't mean that I can turn it off in other places in the data center. Right. That also doesn't mean that when you get those four racks, that's actually enough to justify the cost of those smart NICs in those four racks versus buying one or you know, one set or two sets of, you know, aggregation or, um, you know, VTAP, the virtual tunnel endpoint places where your overlay terminates now, right? Mm -hmm. So the challenge in, in putting it into a, in a brownfield will be a lot around cost justification. And when do you see that deployment of SmartNIC versus non-SmartNIC 
variables start to play out, that you really can show a return on investment. So, you know, that's that's also going to be another convincing factor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that, you know, that, but what's interesting is um, there are companies that are in the smart mix space that um, take that into account, that Brownfield challenge, right. and they're actually coming out with smart switches where they're taking some of the functions that they would put or, you know, some of the same technology that they're putting into smart mix and actually building a 24 or 48 port switch mm. specifically designed for brownfield environments. Right. So if you want to make the move and then that feeds back into the management plan. So then you're right? reducing kind of the number of deployments that you have to do and, and thus the cost essentially. Right. So, and then if I can increase then the footprint of the impact of the new management plane into my brownfield environment without having to crack open every one of those boxes and put in a smart neck, then again, that, you know, helps me with my adoption. The, the other, the other problem is you can't crack open an existing box right. and just drop in a smart mm, neck mm-hmm. because a lot of these smart necks are dependent upon PCIe 4.0, which, you know, if you look at uh, Dell or HP or IBM, it's only within the last six months that they've started putting servers out to market right. with PCIe 4.0, which, you know, dramatically increases the, the bus speed. So you can take advantage of a, you know, potentially a hundred gig network interface card and not have the disk to the CPU, to the NIC, be anywhere a bottleneck in between. Right. The, the other place where smart NICs will start to um, show up is in NVMe. So um, NVMe is a storage protocol, which allows um, virtualized memory access storage. So your storage almost becomes just like RAM. That will be another place where the improved bus speed and the increased throughput will potentially enable also the real promised speeds of NVMe. So there's a lot of potential around it. Right, a lot of potential, but then uh, sort of like like you're saying, a, a lot of um, could potentially a lot of cost if you're looking at not just pulling cards and replacing them, but uh, but looking at replacing servers all over the entire network. That that could be um, a, a big ask for some uh, n- network managers out there, certainly. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's why it's important to understand, yeah, you know, the the risk reward and benefit of the technology. And, and because it is relatively new, as is my experience you know, in, in the enterprise field, it, it probably wouldn't be a bad thing to wait 12 months, maybe yes. more than that, yeah. to see how this shakes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, there, there's always uh, that sort of um, chicken egg problem, right? Is that someone has to be the early adopters to do that hard work for everyone else to uh, free ride off of, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, it, you know, and, and we are looking at it in, in a lab um, in, in order to identify the risk reward and see what the value is and mm-hmm. working closely with our, our partner vendors to identify where we can get the best, you know, best bang for the buck. Um, so even for us, and we, we have a tendency to be leading edge, not bleeding edge, because mm-hmm. I won't put your I won't put your business at risk on bleeding edge. That's right. Yeah. 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 But. You know, even there, it's we're probably still, you know, I'd say twelve months at least away 
before we'd put this into production. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all the more reason why um, when, when we can get back to uh, in-person conferences, um, uh, it may be time uh, next uh, spring in New York, WAN Summit or, or the like for you to give a case study on uh, on how those lab tests and everything worked. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Happy to do that. Um, the, the other um, idea behind, behind SmartMix is as you find the ability to extend your overlay infrastructure into the network interface card, like SmartMix can allow you to do. It gives you the ability to create more of a intelligent edge mm. and potentially a not so intelligent middle. Mm -hmm. So the other possible impact of this is we can move into more of a, a value engineered data center. We've been, we've been hearing about, you know, um, you know, gray box and white box and, and, and disposable infrastructure for quite some time now. And I can't tell you that I know personally um, very many enterprises that have adopted that at scale. Mm -hmm. and, and simply that comes down to you don't want to put too much risk into infrastructure that doesn't have the same degree of vendor support or guaranteed, you know, availability inside your environment. But once we move the intelligence, or if we're able to move the intelligence, say, out of the top of rack, mm -hmm. or out of the, you know, the, the VTAPs or the, the virtual tunnel endpoint, um, layer three routing devices, and just have just plain old dumb switches that just do frame in, frame out, frame in, frame out, and uh, a layer three core, then that could potentially enable us to look at real value engineering, right? Because right. then all I need is I don't need any specific features from any one of my data center vendors, except for building just a stable underlay. And honestly, you can do that, you know, with just any basic BGP routing environment. So the other potential impact of this is the ability to reduce the cost of the infrastructure inside of the data center itself by not having, you know, even if you buy the same hardware from the same manufacturer, not buying the advanced routing licenses, not buying the advanced licenses that give you the, you know, VXLAN functionality, if you can move that technology into the edge. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something VMware has been pushing for a while with their NSXT platform. And, and this might be that, that impetus that gets it that one further push forward. Right, right. So th there's that sort of uh, uh, potential for for uh, savings that uh, comes along with all this cost that you've been talking about. So that's good to have. Yeah. 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 So, you know, like many issues in networking, um, that they're... When a, when a new technology comes out, it, it can be hard uh, to, to sort of sit back and say, well, where is the line of who is doing this and who it's useful for on, on the vendor side or the end user side? You've been talking about all of this from the perspective of, of managing an enterprise network. Um, but it struck me in in reading about it and listening to you that uh, that there's uh, potential on the service provider side here as well. Um, you're not a service provider, right? So not to put you on the spot in that sense, but um, but uh, do, what do you see as as the sort of um, you know sort of outcome uh, as of adoption of this on on the service provider side um, uh, rather than from uh, from the end user uh, side, if you will. 
So it's funny you say we're not a service provider. And, and I know a lot of people in my organization would take a front to that. Ah, because, right. Yes, yes. But, and, and the reason I, I make that point is because we do have, um, you know, 20, 40, 50, hundreds of thousands of endpoints all around the world, right, at any time, or, or a good number of the time that you, you know, do a banking transaction or credit card transaction or some other um, non-cash transaction. At some point, that passes through some part of our Right, right. So you're providing infrastructure to other enterprise customers. Um, yeah, so, so you're kind of in... In a in a zone between a carrier and uh, and a, and an end user, yeah. So so you know we like to consider ourselves a financial services service provider, right? Mm-hmm. We're not a we're not a bank. We don't have branches that you can go to to you know do deposits or anything. But you know a majority of the banks or credit cards you do go to at some point interact with our infrastructure. So so let's look at it from a service provider perspective. What does it mean to us? Well. Right now, we have a number of products that actually sit at the edge of our infrastructure and provide our customers with the ability to do encrypted, secure transactions, mm-hmm. provide our customers the ability to do things like um, deep packet inspection or intrusion detection. And as the economies move more towards a digital economy footprint, this type of functionality, provide a secure digital infrastructure becomes more and more critical. So leveraging something like SmartNix would allow us to do that at a much faster adoption rate at a much lower cost. Because right now, if we wanted to do that, a lot of those functions that the SmartNix can provide that are not generic routing functions Mm -hmm. um, can be used in a financial services environment, because a lot of these uh, network interface cards are fully programmable. So we have a very large development division that, you know, who knows, could potentially look at taking some of our um, proprietary um, ISO certified financial protocols and rewriting them to run right on these NICs so that we could get, you know, significantly better performance than we do today, where they run in software and are really very CPU bound. So if you look at other service providers, like you know, your, your cell phone provider, where everybody's getting unlimited data and you are streaming your Netflix right to your phone, but right now, in order to identify it as streaming technology, they're using NFE to do that, to know how to handle that traffic to reach your phone, but it's being done in software. Mm-hmm. And because it's being done in software, that increases the cost of the compute footprint, either by the number of cores they need, the number of CPUs they need, the number of overall compute nodes they need in order to support at scale. And when you start looking at 5G and the you know significant bandwidth upgrades that everyone's going to see as 5G becomes more prolific, and at some point you know, in the next, you know, 48 to, you know, 60 months Mm -hmm. as at home wireless internet connectivity becomes more dominant. You you look at uh, T-Mobile today, you can go out and buy in a lot of areas at home 5G internet access that's just as good 
and in some cases better yeah. than what you can get from a broadband perspective. Right. Now, in order for them to drive that kind of performance and in order for them to provide you with, um, we're going to make sure that your streaming media doesn't get any degradation in quality of service if your kid starts playing video games right. Right. or someone in the house starts downloading a really large file or upload or something like that, right? And and that kind of function today would all have to be driven in software. Right. If you can drive it in the hardware of the network interface card and you can drive it, you know, at near line rate, you know, 100 gigabits per second or 50 gigabits per second, then for them, they can deliver more services faster, cheaper, and at a greater scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really fascinating use case, and and I can see how how that sort of implication is it puts you at an interesting place, um, you know, for someone who who might technically fall on the the enterprise side to sort of see that since. Um, since you're sort of uh, providing services a, a bit more like a, a provider, so that's that's a really interesting kind of uh, take on it for uh, the WAN Manager podcast. So I appreciate that. Excellent. So you know, just to kind of wrap things up here, um, you, you already mentioned that uh, that you're testing things in the lab. Um, uh, you're looking at a kind of twelve month horizon. I wonder if maybe you could just sort of take us through. Um, a, a little bit of, of the plan to move forward. And, um, and if anyone, you know, sort of listening to this is interested in kind of pursuing this, um, uh, it, what directions would, uh, would you want to steer them? Sure. So for us, the, the testing process is really critical to validate that we can, as I mentioned earlier, still manage and monitor the infrastructure, mm -hmm. even with the significant change in paradigm moving from a fixed or virtualized routing or switching or SD-WAN function or security function into the, the smart NIC itself. Um, also identifying feature parity. Um, feature parity is, is, is critical, but it's also funny because in a lot of the enterprises that I talk to and a lot of my peers, they say, oh, we haven't adopted X yet because it doesn't have this one knob oh, right. yeah. that we need, mm -hmm. right? And and when you really start to, to press hard, a lot of times all the nerd knobs and things that we look for only increase the complexity without really giving you know, the same level of value. Mm -hmm. So so when we look for feature parity, what we're really going to be looking for is here's the features that we absolutely must have and we've got real justification from a business perspective around that. Things like, you know, how long does it take it for it to recover routing in, you know, in the in the event of a, a cable break or in the event of a software defect in the NIC itself? How long is that recovery time? It's a critical feature, but you know, then some other features. Maybe you know, QoS is not there the same level it is on a SD WAN platform from day zero. But is the value we would get from adopting it for, you know, certain use cases enough so that we can start, you know, to, to get our feet, but without waiting for perfect. Mm -hmm. um, waiting for perfect drives me nuts. Yes, um, yes. And you'll be waiting and, forever. So, yeah. Yeah, right. That's, you know, you'll be waiting forever. I promise you it will be better tomorrow. Right. It's not better yet. Well, there's another tomorrow. It's not that tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow after that, right? Um, 
So, so for us, you know, the testing is going to look at stability, feature parity, and whether we get the performance that the vendors, you know, promise. Because, you know, don't believe it in, until you've actually seen it for yourself. Right. The infrastructure that you can actually um, touch and and feel and and command the environment with which it happens. Um, so, so that for us would be a validation process. Where we'll see it show up first is probably the use case that makes the most sense would be in our uh, NFV platforms mm -hmm. that we're putting at the edge. Mm -hmm. Because in those cases, right now today, if I want to stand up a small edge node, you know, support maybe only a handful of customers or support a particular SaaS or, or CSP, I still got to do a full-blown cluster build-out. But with SmartNix, maybe I'll be able to get that down to a single compute footprint mm -hmm. and not lose any of the functionality or management capabilities. So for me, it'll have a lot of impact and probably show up first for us in our NFV platforms. Got it. Excellent. All right. Well, this has been uh, really illuminating for me. Um, and, and you did an, an admirable job of putting it into terms that even uh, I could understand for the most part. So I appreciate that. <laughs> You're um, you know, uh, it, uh, unless you have any parting thoughts, um, you might recall, I always like to have kind of a fun question at the end. So I, um, uh, I had been asking people a lot about sort of what they what they miss most about lockdown. But I wonder, uh, maybe this time we, we could uh, ask you, what's what's something that, um, you know, people who may have met you at the WAN Summit or heard you on the podcast or before wouldn't know about you or guess about you? They wouldn't know about me or guess about. Yeah, and if that if that's too on the spot, you can you you can make me move on. But you know. no, uh, no, that's okay. Um, I have read through um, the the uh, Malazan um, book set uh, twice now. Uh, so if you read that, mm -hmm. um, that that's been my most interesting fantasy novel. Um, platform. Uh, I like that better than uh, a lot of the some of the Hobbit books or Star Wars stuff. Right, so, right. so you might not know about that. Um, and also, I spend a good part of my free time playing Civilization VI, only because some of my friends think I have a, a god complex. <laughs> maybe it's that. maybe it's something else. <laughs> you you really like orchestration, right? <laughs> yeah, I so. do. I really so. like orchestrating and down to the minute details. Yeah. Well, that's excellent that uh, that you can find uh, a career that matches your um, passions there. So, well done. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael. And um, I look forward to maybe uh, sort of um, checking back in on this topic and um, and seeing how it goes. And um, I'm sure that some listeners might even uh, sort of have questions and whatnot. And perhaps, like we said before, we can we can um, uh, actually talk this out at a conference later this year if all goes well. Yeah. That would be great. And if any of your listeners are interested in reaching out to me, I'm always happy to talk about technology topics. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just look for my name, Michael Winston. Last name is spelled W-Y-N-S-T-O-N. I think my parents did that to me on purpose. You know, I, I, I also have a last name with a Y where most people want to put an I, Brian. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm Mr. Winston. So it's as it's, it's simple as it can possibly be. And uh, again, I appreciate the conversation, Greg. Always, always a pleasure speaking to you and your, um, and your, and your, your, your customers and your, your audience. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening. The WAN Manager podcast is brought to you by Telegeography, a division of Primetrica Incorporated, and is edited and produced by Jane Miller. I wrote the theme song you're listening to right now, and we get administrative canine support from my dog, Honeybun, who you might hear chiming in from time to time when the mood strikes her. If you want to learn more about our data, head over to telegeography.com, where you can find our blog that covers many of the topics we hit here, and you can sign up for our WAN Manager newsletter. Until next time, have a great day. So if you're listening and you like what you hear on the WAN Manager podcast, we think you're going to love the WAN Forum. Coming this spring, the WAN Forum is a new community and content hub that has been curated by me and my colleagues at Telegeography. So what does that mean? Well, it means we're building an online space for those folks who manage wide area networks and maintain IT infrastructure for mid to large enterprises. WAN Forum members can access exclusive telegeography analysis, presentations, research tools, bonus podcast content, and lots more. We're currently putting the finishing touches on the WAN Forum, and we can't wait to show you the whole thing this spring. Now, normally membership is going to cost $999 a year, but if you want early access to the platform, in exchange for your feedback, we'll let you take that first look for free. So if you like the sound of that, email us at info at wanforum.com and we'll send you more details and we look forward to seeing you at the WAN Forum.